0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from 1st Naz Podcast. Uh, If you're a guest here today, thanks for accepting somebody's invitation to come today. We want you to know that we're really glad that you're here um, because of a number of reasons. One, we have something we want to share with you, a message that is near and dear to our hearts. Secondly, we have a community, a, a, a circle of friendships that we want to include you in. We think that people shouldn't have to do life alone, and so we do it together here. And you can find a circle of friends here if you'd like to to connect with us in that way. Thirdly, it's because of what Pastor Aaron said. Third reason that, that we're glad you're here is because of what Pastor Aaron said. We're gathered here to celebrate the event that we think was the pivotal event in world history. Everything changed in potential when Jesus Christ came back from the dead. That's the message that I want to share with you this morning. I want to read to you first the story, as Jesus' friend John tells it. Now you have to understand something. The people who wrote the Bible, real people, okay? Real people with um, a little bit of knucklehead-itis. Uh, real people with jealousy, Real people with some uh, conflicts between them and their circle of friends and workers. And you'll see a little bit of that in the passage that I'm reading to you. I'm reading John's account of Jesus' resurrection. And you're going to read a little bit about Jesus. You're going to hear a little bit about John. But John never refers to himself as John. I'm not making this up. In the Bible, he referred to himself always as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Never mind those other 11 knuckleheads, right? And then uh, Peter, who seemed to be a little bit uh, of John's rival. For some reason, John and Peter kind of squared off a little bit. Loved each other, but, you know, had, had. oh, I put it this way. Sometimes my children and I exchange dents in our foreheads, right? Noah has a cliff-shaped dent in his forehead, and I have a Noah-shaped dent in mine. That was the way it was for Peter and John. Listen to, uh, you'll you'll hear it show up in the story. John writes, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and (laughs) reached the tomb first. Yeah, I'm faster. No, no, no. Um, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came. "'following him, and went into the tomb. "'He saw the linen cloths lying there, "'and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, "'not lying with the linen cloths, "'but folded up and in a place by itself. "'Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, "'also went in, and he saw and believed. "'For as yet they did not understand the scripture "'that he must rise from the dead. "'Then the other disciples went back to their homes.' But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Empty. That's half of the message of Easter. It's the message that is literally being presented in every Christian church everywhere on this planet today. The tomb of Jesus of Nazareth was found empty on the third day following his crucifixion. They didn't get it wrong. They didn't show up at the wrong address. It was the known identified tomb in which Jesus had been laid, and it was then physically sealed and set under a Roman guard. That tomb was then visited by angels somehow miraculously opened, and a very much alive Jesus stepped out of it and then appeared to many people thereafter, sometimes as few as one, like Mary. Other times, the gospel accounts tell us, he appeared to as many as 500 at a time. The soldiers, however, had a little predicament on their hands. And so they concocted a story, bribed by religious officials to do so. They concocted a story saying that they had all at the same time, fallen asleep while on duty, and that Jesus' disciples had sneaked in, opened the crypt, stolen the body, and ran off with it without waking them up. Hmm. Hmm. Pretty difficult story to substantiate when they were supposedly asleep the whole time that it took place. The soldiers were then, instead of being punished, For falling asleep on guard duty? The soldiers were then paid handsomely to keep telling the story about how they failed at their job. But this much was not questioned by the end of that first weekend after Jesus' death. The tomb was empty. People were telling all kinds of stories about how it got empty, but this much was not in question. The tomb was empty. So this morning, since I'm a pastor and This is a Christian church. It would seem that I'm supposed to get up here and tell you all that the tomb was empty. It's an incredible message. It's one that Christians take great joy in celebrating this day and many others throughout the year. But it's also a story that puts everyone who hears it on the horns of a great dilemma. Which story will you choose to believe? The story that Jesus was miraculously resurrected from the dead and is now alive and will be forever? Or the story that his wacko slash conspiratorial followers overpowered some Roman guards, or sneaked in while they were sleeping on duty, and managed to open the tomb, get the body of Jesus, get it out of there without being discovered. Which story will you choose to believe? Oh, and by the way, um it should be noted that none of the so-called conspirators, ever cracked under the persecution and torture that followed. Hmm. If you hear the message of the empty tomb, you end up just by force of logic having to choose which of these two stories you think is more probable. And once you pick one of those stories, certain things then sort of logically follow. If you believe the conspiracy theory, then you can just dismiss all of these Christian beliefs and all of us nut job religious weirdos and go on with your life. But if the conspiracy theory has too many holes in it for you, then it, I think, would logically follow that you'd begin to ask some questions about that event, learn what you can about it, and ultimately ask the question, what does the event, the resurrection, mean? And with the time that I have left this morning, what I'd like to do is propose to you one meaning of Jesus' resurrection. Because while it might be possible for Jesus' death to have no meaning whatsoever, it is altogether impossible for a resurrection from the dead to mean nothing. Does that make sense? People die all the time. But a resurrection, that means something. So that's why I started this talk by saying that empty is half of the message of Easter. And the other half of the message is that empty equals full. Not that an empty tomb equals a full tomb, because that makes no sense whatsoever. But what I'm trying to say is this, the empty tomb means something for you. The empty tomb means that you can have a full life. Empty tomb equals full life for you. I believe that is the answer to the question regarding the meaning of the empty tomb. The empty tomb means that you get to have a new life if you want one. And the Bible is a big book. Actually, it's a collection of 66 books written by about 40 different people over the course of about 1,500 years. But all of them together tell one story. And it's the story of how God could not live with being separated from the people that he created and still loves. And so he would do absolutely whatever it would take for a chance to get back together with the people who had broken up with him. This morning I don't have the time and neither would you like for me to explain the entire Bible's story in all of its detail, so instead I just want to share with you two short passages from the Bible to help explain what I mean about the empty tomb, meaning a full life for you. The first passage that I'm going to share with you was written by a man who early in his adult life had become a religious expert and had decided that Christianity was um, a real danger to the society in which he lived. And so he dedicated his whole life to arresting Christians and then having them executed in an, in an attempt to literally exterminate the entire Christian faith. As a matter of fact, the first Christian martyr, the first man who ever died because of his dedication to Jesus Christ was a young man named Stephen. And this guy that I'm going to talk to you about, and I'm going to read to you from in just a moment, he was the guy who stood at the head of the charge he was the guy taking names and handing out rocks when they stoned Stephen to death. They dragged him out in the middle of the street and they threw rocks at his head and the rest of his body until he was crushed beneath the weight of it. But this same man who fought so hard to exterminate Christianity had an had a, a run-in with Jesus that changed his entire perspective changed his mind, and changed his heart, and therefore changed the direction of his life. And he moved from being the chief enemy of Christianity to the chief proponent of it, and perhaps the most influential Christian who ever lived. He wrote half of what is now the New Testament part of our Bible. His name is Paul. Listen to what Paul wrote. He wrote it in a letter to the Jesus people in Rome, and he was trying to help them understand more of what it means to be connected with Jesus in a trusting relationship. Here's what he said. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's the good news of the gospel. Paul, whose life was revolutionized by his belief in Jesus, wrote that belief in Jesus takes the power of the empty tomb and the power of the resurrected Jesus and works that power, massages that power into our lives. He wrote that the resurrection of Jesus means that you can have a new life like the life Jesus now lives. He put it this way in Romans 8. That same power which brought back from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, now makes your mortal bodies alive. That same power which brought back from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, now makes your mortal bodies alive. Jesus' resurrection means new life for you. Some people say, well, that's fantastic news. I want some. And I think it pays to say, "Mm, not so fast. Let's ask a few questions first. Like, what kind of life do I get? If I connect with Jesus, I mean, don't you want to know that? It seems to me before I launch into some new direction, a whole new direction for my life, it just makes sense to ask what sort of life I'm going to get. I think it's a legitimate question we better ask before we dive into becoming Christ followers. I want to, in in order to answer that question, what kind of life do I get? I want to direct our attention to some words that were spoken by Jesus himself. One of his very best friends, that guy named John that we read earlier, quoted Jesus as having said this talking about the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil, however you want to put that. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Full. So Jesus answer to the question, what kind of life do I get in connection with you? Is I'll give you a full life. See, Jesus is the one who first said, empty equals full. Maybe this morning you're thinking that that's not that great of news because your life already seems very full. Full of stress, full of worry, full of pressure on the job, full of family problems, full of busyness outside of work. You're just running yourself crazy trying to get from one thing to the next in your very full life. Full of broken relationships that, that you know, ultimately suck all the life out of you. Full of activity that ultimately means nothing but that takes every ounce of energy and every bit of your time. And you think, I really don't want to add anything to that list. Understood. Maybe your list isn't all negative. Maybe you're thinking that while your life isn't completely satisfying, you got it pretty good. Your life's full of family and friends and work and recreation. But then there's those moments when you're really honest with yourself and you think, there's got to be more to life than this. Grateful as you are, knowing that you've got it pretty good, but something in you thinks that there's got to be something more than reproducing and managing a social circle or two and holding a job and doing a hobby. There's got to be something deeper and more. Whichever of these ways you're currently experiencing life, maybe just a few minutes ago when I read Jesus' words to you and he said, I came that they might have a life and they might have it to the full. Something in your chest or in your head just did this little twitch, just this jump thing. If your interest was peaked, when I read Jesus' words to you, I want you to know exactly what happened to you. The Bible's word for it is hope. You experienced hope. It was your spirit within you, responding to something that your heart has always hoped would be true. That there is more to this life than stress, pressure, worry. And there's more to this life than a life full of mostly good but ultimately unsatisfying things. And that more that you've been hoping for, that more comes from life in connection with the resurrected Jesus. It's the full life that he promised to you But I think that begs one more question that I want to answer for you today. Makes us wonder what the Jesus-connected life is full of. Good question. Short list of answers to that question for you. Number one, the Jesus-connected life is full of peace. Full of peace. The Bible teaches that you can experience, in connection with Christ, peace in two areas of your life. First of all, you can experience peace with God. Instead of worrying about what God thinks of you, worrying about how God feels about you, worried whether God's going to judge you, condemn you, worried about what you're going to say when one day you see him and stand before him, wonder what he's going to say when he sees you coming, you can do this. Everybody do this. Big, deep breath. And let it out. One breath of life and you feel more calm. Isn't that amazing? One breath and it just brings everything down here. When the resurrected life of Jesus is breathed into you, you experience peace with God. No more worries about what God thinks of you if peace with him. Haven't you wanted that your whole life? The Bible also teaches that it's possible to have peace not just with God, but with each other. When you connect with the resurrected life of Jesus, you can experience peace with each other. Now, a little truth in advertising. The church has not always been a very good example of this. The whole world knows that church people, uh, there's no meaner people than, than mean religious people. Right? And, uh, the church has, has made history. Fighting. Shame on us. Because what the scriptures teach and what has been made manifest in the church so much of the time are two very different things. So I'm not here to tell you about how great church is. I'm here to tell you what the scriptures teach about the resurrected Jesus. That when he comes to live in you, you can experience peace with God, that you can have peace in your relationships with one another too. Just as it's possible to no longer worry about what God thinks of you and have no fear about the next time you run into him, it is also possible by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you for you to have peace with your fellow man. To take one big deep breath and let it out, and receive anyone who comes your way with peace. They may not always have nice things to say to you. They may not be into the Jesus life yet. They may not be experiencing peace with God, so they don't have any peace to give to you. But it's possible for you to know peace, no matter what is happening in the world around you, and no matter who comes beating a path to your door, it becomes possible for us connecting with the resurrected Christ to have peace with our fellow man. Hey, Church of Jesus Christ, let's start living it. Let's make this the safest place in the world to make friends, huh? The place where people just come and they get peace. They get accepted. No more fighting, no more bickering over stupid things that don't make any difference. No more asserting my opinion over yours. No, matter, no more arguing about dumb doctrinal things. How about this? We receive the resurrected life of Christ and we live like it. Please, please. Guess what? Everybody in the world, is hoping that they can have peace with God. But almost everybody's given up on having peace with their fellow man. And the gospel of Jesus says it's possible for us to be kind to people that we don't like in the moment. And it's possible for us to respond graciously toward people who do not treat us well. And then it makes it incredibly possible for those of us who love one another to love one another really good. You connect with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and you will receive peace from God. Peace with your fellow man. The Jesus-connected life is also full of power. That's good news, except that a lot of people have used it wrong. And so, once again, church like this, because the church has been the, the worst example in history of taking power and using it over people. Okay, uh, let me just say this. I, I don't intend it as flippantly as it's probably going to come across because I just have to hit it and move. But I want to, as as one of the spokesmen for Jesus Church, I want to apologize to the world for the way that we have used power. Because as far as I can tell from reading the scriptures, Christianity is not to be a power-mongering religion. It's to be a religion that uses what power is given it for the good of others, not to not to promote self, not for great gain, but to help others. As far as I understand the scriptures from reading them, they teach that the Jesus-connected life is full of two kinds of power. Very specifically, these two. First, the power to live differently than I did before I connected with Jesus. Many of us, before we connect with Jesus, we find our lives to be uh, something like living in chains. In the chains of addictions, maybe chemical kind of things. Um, we find ourselves to be in the chains of just bad habits that we can't seem to break. We find ourselves in the chains of unhealthy relationships. We find ourselves in the chains of darkness and gloom and despair and a lack of hope. But the scripture teaches that when you connect with the resurrected Jesus, you have power to live differently than you did before. If Jesus broke the power of death, Oh, he can break the power of addiction. If he broke the power of death, he can break the power of your bad habits. If he broke the power of death, he can break the power of sick, unhealthy, abusive relationships in your life. If he broke the power of death, he can, he can peel the darkness and the depression and the gloom off of you and pour his life and his joy and his peace into you. He can't. The good news of the gospel is that in connection with the resurrected Christ, your life can be characterized by power, power to live differently than you did before you met him. But it also tells us about another very specific kind of power. It's the power that we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul. As soon as he connected with Jesus, up on his feet, and the next thing he knew, he felt compelled to talk about his faith with other people. Now listen, you would not have liked the Apostle Paul to be your pastor. You know why? He's more blunt than me. That, that guy thought that his spiritual gift was beating people. I mean, the Apostle Paul actually wrote in letters to some churches, do I need to come down there? He said, I heard some of you people, you were saying, oh, he talks all big when he's away. Well, I'll put the pen down. I was going to write you a love letter, but I can come down there if you need me to. I'll sort out your little church. Maybe we should take him on as an associate pastor, huh? He can do my dirty work. (laughs) That'd be great. The scriptures teach that the Jesus-connected life is full of power to talk about new life with other people. We're not hucksters. We're not selling anything. We're not pressuring people anything. We're not beating people over the head with religion. It's just that we have this hope now. We have this life. We have this peace, this power. We want to share that with you. Just so you know, this wasn't a setup today. Your friends didn't invite you here, so we trick you into something. But I told you there's something we want to share with you. It's the best kept secret in the world. There's peace and there's power available for you in connection with Christ. The Jesus connected life is also full of purpose. That means that your life, once you connect with him, can become something more than the passionate pursuit of your personal happiness. I realized there was too many Ps to keep that all straightened out, but it can become something more than you chasing the happy. How's that? You notice how chasing the happy always leaves you empty-handed? Or get a little happy for a little bit and then slips through your fingers? When you have connection with the resurrected Jesus. He reorients your life so that your primary pursuit is no longer you chasing the happy. But instead, you find yourself motivated to serve other people. Life becomes more than my quest for personal happiness. Life becomes others centered. So it works out like this. You wonder what the Christian life is? Plain and simply, it's this. Connecting with the resurrected Jesus so that I can help other people do life and then I can help connect them to the God who can really help them do life. If you wonder what it is, churches are trying to do it around the world, that's it. Help people do life, and then introduce them to the God who can really help them do life from the inside out. I mentioned before, I'll say it again, a little truth in advertising here. The Jesus-connected life is also full of practicality, which means there's going to be some problems. I, mean, I just don't want to stand up here today and tell you just, Say a few things to Jesus and life will be awesome. Don't want to sell you uh, something that can't be backed up by reality. I am not about to tell you that if you just say a few magical words in a prayer to Jesus, that your life gets easy and all of your problems go away, because that's not true. Jesus himself said, hey, little divine teaching here. In this world, you will have troubles. Then he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And it means this for you and me there will be some problems, there will be some hurdles. He's not going to make all that go away because that is an imaginary fairy tale kind of life. Instead, Jesus meets us right here in the dirt and the dust where we live with real world kind of problems. And he promises to help us to overcome life's hard stuff and to stand up under the load and be able to bear it and come out the other side and go, ah, there's the peace again, baby. There's the peace. It's also a promise that he'll use the difficulties in our lives to, you know, grow us up a little bit, toughen us up a little bit, so that we can face the next difficulty that comes along. Last thing. The Jesus-connected life is also full of promise. Full of promise. He promises two things. He promises, one, I'll help you with this life. I've already talked about that. But Fasten your seatbelt, because here's where Christianity gets weird. Okay? Admittedly, here's where it gets weird. He also promises that if you live in connection with him in this life. You get to be connected with him for all of eternity. And after your death, you will get to go to be where he is forever. That's weird. Because a lot of us think, most days, what's real is what I can see, what I can lay my hands on. And the afterlife, I mean, that's the stuff of movies. But the same Jesus who promised peace and has delivered that to billions of people down through the years. The same Jesus who promised power to live differently and to talk with others about his faith and has delivered that to billions of people down through time. The same Jesus who promised purpose and has delivered it. The same Jesus who said, I'll help you with your problems, the practical stuff in life, I'll help you with that. The same Jesus said, I'm going to make you a promise. One day, we won't have to be apart anymore. You've been believing in me your whole life. One day, we'll be together. And when we get together, we'll be together forever. Listen, that's either, that's either craziness or it's the, it's the best news in the world. It's either lunacy or the kind of life I'm talking about, the kind of life I've been hoping for forever. Kind that doesn't end when cancer gets the best of me, or a car hits me. I don't know. I live to 130 and die of being 130. Right? That's the kind of life I've been hoping for my whole life—the life that never ends, even though trouble comes. That's it. That's the sermon for this morning. Happy Easter. Yeah, it's um, it's the story. Yeah, it's the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And either that's all made up and a bunch of nut jobs managed to keep the secret for 2,000 years, or Jesus came out of that grave living new life that was given him by God the Father. If that's the case, it means you and I can have new life. Yeah. What in the world should people do about a message like this? Um, I mean just, I suppose you could just, you know, say happy Easter to each other and go home. We did our Easter church. Um, but that would be acting like resurrection has no meaning. Instead, I just wonder this morning if there aren't some people who felt that kind of lurch in their heart or in their minds. They recognize, ooh, that, it felt kind of like emotion, but it, it, it seems like there's something more here than just emotion. And and hope spring to life in you. And you started saying, man, I hope that what Cliff's talking about is real. And so I want to encourage you to do one thing. I want to encourage you to reach God's direction in faith. And it would look like this. Really, all you have to do is pray. So well, I don't know how to pray. Well, that's good because I can fix that. That's easy. Just talk to God. And He knows our hearts, and He knows our minds, and so you don't even have to pray out loud. It's just a silent conversation between you and Him in which you tell Him why you want to lean His way, what it is that you need from Him. You can talk to Him about your brokenness and your sins, because He knows all that too. And it doesn't offend Him in the least for you to be honest with Him. Just talk to Him and tell Him why it is that you want to come His way And how grateful you are that he's already come your way and ask him to give you his resurrection life. And he will. Just a few days after, after Jesus was resurrected, a few weeks, Peter was telling this story, telling all the benefits of life in connection with Christ. And he, he told it to, in a public setting where there were thousands of people who were listening. And a bunch of them started saying, well, what are we supposed to do about this? Now that you've told us all of this, what are we supposed to do about this? He said, repent, which means turn away from your former way of life and start walking straight toward God. Be baptized and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning he'll just come and live inside of you. God will come and live inside you. What are we supposed to do? Repent. Just turn around from the way I'm living. Walk toward God. Be baptized and we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. I met some folks this week that blew my mind. First time we ever met, right, Andrea? I mean, you made an appointment and came and sat in my office, and it was the first time we ever laid eyes on each other, you and Geneva. Had some sickness in the family, so you couldn't all be here that day. But what they told me was that their family wants to go somewhere together, and they needed a new direction. And they'd heard about Jesus, reaching out to him in faith, holding on to each other, and reaching out toward Jesus together. They said, we want that new life, and we want to be baptized. And so um, get as many of you as you can and head that direction toward the, the baptistry, okay? Yeah, you guys can go change your clothes. and. Oh, hey, Bill. We're missing one of the children at Children's Church. Yeah, sorry about the kidnapping. <laughs> There's that. Uh, yeah. But the Wegerson family are responding in faith, mom and dad. And then they've got three children. And Geneva, wave at me. That's Geneva, yes. And they went to get um, Sequoia. And then Sierra's the little baby, baby. She's, she's three. At four? Three. We'll say three since you say three. Okay. We'll say three. Um, she's little, but they together as a family are choosing to follow Christ. We're going to baptize all of them today. Some of you are going, hey, wait a minute. Three year old. You can even baptize three year olds. Okay. Just know across the spectrum of Christianity, we do this in different ways. Okay. And in the Church of the Nazarene, we honor the faith of parents who say, we together, as a family, will follow Christ. And so, on the at the choice of the Weggersons, we are going to baptize their little one along with the other two who freely profess faith in Christ. But they're getting ready, and you're going to watch a movie here in just a minute. And I just wonder if maybe the Weggersons are not the only people who had hope rise within them today. They're thinking, "I want to, I want to step forward in faith." I want to give you a, a couple of options here. I want, first bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you do that? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I um, want you to stand with me for just a moment, if you would. Now you've been sitting a while. Just bow your heads, close your eyes to give one another a little bit of privacy. This morning, did you hear the good news that the resurrected life of Jesus can mean a whole new kind of life for you and you want it? If you want it this morning and you're, you're leaning God's direction with with all you know about what that means. And you just want to say, Pastor Cliff, would you pray for me? Because I want the resurrected life of Jesus in me. I want to ask you to just raise your hand. You're not committing to being baptized. You're not committing to joining a church. You're just saying, oh, yeah, I see you back there. Good. I want the resurrected. Good. Good. I want the resurrected life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Over there too. Good. Yeah, Right back there in middle. Uh-huh. I want the resurrected life of Jesus in me. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. 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 Listen, what you ask for, you're going to get exactly that today. The peace, the power, the purpose, help with the troubles, and the promise of everlasting life. It's yours. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to hear and answer the prayers of those who responded today. There must have been 15 people. He said, me, 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 I want it. I lean Jesus way. Please. I want, I want you, Lord Jesus. Come to them. Lord, bring that holy hush over their hearts. That, ah, that comes with your presence and your peace. And deliver the other things in full measure. Lord, they come recognizing they're imperfect. How does an imperfect person approach a perfect God? We come asking forgiveness for the ways that we have dishonored or ignored you. We come today exactly as we are, no kidding, no pretending. We say, if you'll take me, I sure love to have you in my life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.